I'm kind of glad we had a little fellowship break. Give me a chance to sneak up here, put my water away. This is a real honor for me to get a, take this opportunity. I'm really grateful. I got warning a while ago, so I've had a long time to think about this particular Sunday. And, uh, you know, it's been a really good series for me to go through the Book of Romans. And I hope it has been for you guys as well. And I'm excited to get my turn. My turn at it. So you're going to get the Darren version of things. Um, it's all the God version, correct? But we kind of have our own ways of looking and explaining and understanding and processing. And uh, I'm a processor. It takes me a little while to think through things. And I've been trying to process the book of Romans my whole Christian life. And I'm probably not going to stop for a long time. So um, I wanted to maybe even do just, I don't know if this is a recap, but I wanted to just go back and cover a little ground that I think sets up, because we're just going to get kind of right into a do this, don't do that section of Romans. The heart of it is love. The heart of it is understanding the righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus. But before we just jump right into that type of literature, that type of speaking, I wanted to go backwards a little bit. And I want to share some context that I've learned that I think really helps me understand the book of Romans, and I hope it helps you too. The first thing I want, to, I want to mention is that Paul's letter to Rome, the Romans, is like most of his letters. It is a letter of occasion, meaning it was written for a specific reason to address some specific circumstances that the church was dealing with and in Paul's great heart of wanting to help them, guide them, and shepherd them. He wrote this letter because he knew what was going on there. And uh, it's important to when you're reading a letter that has an agenda behind it, because that occasion, those circumstances, Paul's agenda is going to drive every conversation that he has in the book. The book of Romans does not appear in a theological vacuum. It appears in the real life of Christians struggling to get along with each other. <laughs> Shocking, isn't it? <laughs> and to figure out and to figure out what it means to walk with Jesus, of course, right? But um, so here's what Paul what was thinking. Let me see how I did on the slides here. Okay, oh, the name of my lesson, the measuring stick. Boy, that doesn't make much sense, does it? Huh? It's dramatic. Well, you know, we all kind of have measuring sticks in our lives that we use, don't, you, don't we? And I'll get to more of what I mean by the measuring stick as we go through this. But I am a carpenter and a contractor, so I'm used to tape measures and measuring and getting things that need to line up and make things need to measure up. And honestly, we know how to make sure people are measuring up or not, consider whether they're measuring up or not, consider whether we're measuring up or not. If you're an accused type of conscience, you probably, no one measures you more than you do yourself probably, right? And so that's kind of where I'm going uh, with this whole idea here. But um, probably, you know, if I look at the book of Rome, uh, the book of Romans, you can look, you know, probably the church was started by, and you can see this in Acts 2.11, was started by Jews and converts to Judaism who were present on the day of Pentecost. Now, I don't think everybody that was present on the day of Pentecost converted, but a lot did, didn't they? And more than likely, these people traveled back to Rome, those that didn't stay, those that traveled back, and they started the church um, in Rome. Now, around 
possibly AD 49, you can see this in Acts chapter 18, the Emperor Claudius ordered all the Jews out of Rome. The Jews were a stubborn and difficult people, and they were known to not always go along with the way uh, the Roman government wanted them to go along. And, of course, this had a lot to do with a polytheistic emperor worship, different type of worldview where man is the center of things and the emperor rules all, as opposed to a, a spiritual heritage that has gone on for centuries that worship one God. And, you know, monotheism is super comfortable with us. We were talking about this in our family group this week. That's all we know. I mean, all the major world religions are, not all of them, but we know Islam, Judaism, and Christianity are all monotheistic religions. That means they worship one God. But that was not the way it was for many, many, many centuries. And so when these Jews worshiping their one God, they were considered to be quite spiritual weirdos. And Christians as well along that line. And so because of that, they often rebelled. They had very, very adherent to loving their God and obeying him. And that made them at odds with Rome a lot. And finally, Claudius just threw them out, kicked them all out. So if you think about that, um, and, and this went on for about five years until Claudius died, and then the Jews slowly began to trickle back into Rome. And if you think about that, if the church was started by Jews and converts to Judaism, I don't know how many Gentiles they had converted at this point because the church started very Jewish. And then all of a sudden the Jews are ordered out of Rome. What does that do to your church? Imagine your foundation. Imagine your leadership group. Imagine the people that you trust to guide you and they know the scriptures In fact, if you're maybe a newer convert, you have, like, very little history with the scriptures. And now your church, you come in one Sunday, you roll in here one Sunday, and all the mature leadership has been kicked out of the church. And you're left, what? To figure it out. You are left to figure it out. And then, fast forward five years, right, Claudius the edict is over, and the Jews start to trickle back in. And do you think they found things exactly the way they left them? Do you think there may have been some conflict as they came back in and were like, what are you guys doing? This does not look very Jewish at all. I mean, I could imagine some of the conversations when the Jews came in and went, came back and went, could you believe those Greeks, they're eating meat? Sacrifice to idols? They're not following dietary laws? I even heard, you know, Dionysus and, and whoever this other Greek name person, they didn't, even, they didn't even circumcise their kids. Oh, my gosh. And then, because, you know, judgment brings judgment and none of us seem to get away from it, then the Gentiles have been there saying, you know, we have been holding down the floor for five years. And, you know, I'm kind of speculating here, right? I want you to know no one knows for sure exactly what happened at that moment because none of us were there. And I'm not giving you this point of perspective. I didn't dig this up for some preacher in Nebraska somewhere who came up with this idea. This is a very scholarly researched idea of what probably was the dynamic in the church of Rome. And so 
the Gentiles got these Jews coming back, not happy with the way they had managed things, probably feeling a little bit of judgment, and also probably doing a little bit of judging on their own. Who do they think they are? And there was a huge conflict between these two groups. And you can see it if you read Romans. I mean, there is statement after statement. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. I am obligated to both people. There's a lot of discussion about these two groups in there. And when you understand it this way, it starts to make sense. Now, I want to say it's really important, I think, for me and for all of us to understand that the early Christian church was a very Jewish place. That's kind of hard for us because I think in our Protestant Reformed mindset, we have been taught Judaism bad, Christianity good. I'm not saying that that's not a terrible way to look at it, but really the Gentiles and the pagans did not start coming in for 10, 15 years after the church started. The church was Jewish. You look in Acts 15, you see Acts 10 with Cornelius, you get into Acts 15 and you can see the discussions they were having about how to figure out some of the Jewish practices that were still going on in the Christian church and how that affected the Gentiles and the pagan believers, the new converts that are coming out of paganism into this faith. What did they need to obey? Did they need to follow the dietary laws? Did they need to practice the Sabbath? Did they need to keep the law? And there was a really good discussion about that. And people were like, well, gee, I don't know, maybe. And we know where they landed. And Romans talks a lot about that. But, you know, I think it's, it's a good thought to think about. Was Judaism God's plan to a point and then no more? When Christianity started, was God's plan to do away with Judaism? The people that had been bringing the, the world to this point, the people that God had been partnering with, albeit not very well sometimes on their part, but that could be said for us. And was he getting to this point and said, all right, now Jesus is here, we're going to start something new, thanks, see you around. That's not really consistent. I think God's plan, you know, something to consider here, was to bring the Jews along to a point where Jesus was the next step in their faith. Where Christianity was the, the logical and the reasonable response to what God did through Jesus Christ. And some jumped. A lot jumped. Those are the people that led the churches. And some did not. And some got obstinate and some fought it. And some like Paul or like us, they fought it for a while. And they went, they came around, had a little come to Jesus moment. That's like the best come to Jesus moment in the whole Bible right there. And and that, I think, probably is more of a, a realistic idea of what God was doing. And so there had to have been this period of transition between moving through the old ways of relating to God and into the righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. And, and we have had some incredible lessons talking about that quite a bit. So, so here's, a, here's a question. You can phrase it either way. Is the, let, the book of Romans a letter about great theological truths? Because it is a letter full of great theological truths, right? You've been trying to figure it out. I've been trying to figure it out. People have been doing incredible jobs opening our minds to that so we can apply it to our lives. Is it a book about great theological truths addressed to the church in Rome? 
Or is it a letter addressing some conflicts and circumstances to this church where great theological truths are expressed to help them figure out how to do their life? I think it's the other way. I think it's the second one there. These theological truths that we love in Romans, that we hold on to in Romans, that we cling to in our faith, they are not expressed in a vacuum. And um, I think it's really good when you start reading through the scriptures and seeing it that way. For me, it's been really interesting. A couple of concepts that keep coming up, the brothers have done an excellent job with. The righteousness that is by faith. Right with God, not by rule keeping, but by trust in Jesus and his love for us. You guys comfortable with that one, right? We are right with God, not by our keeping our measuring stick. We are right by God because Jesus sacrificed his life for us, because his performance and because his love for us. And when we put our trust in that, that's our faith. We are righteous and we are made right by God. The other thing in, in seeing all that is that there is a lot of judgment in the book of Romans. There is judgment about groups of people. There is judgment between groups of people towards each other. And you're going to see it when we get into Romans 14. The topic of judgment comes up a lot. And um, trick, judgment is a tricky word in our day and age, right? You know, and, and I, I think the way we can kind of go is, hey, bro, don't judge me, bro. Who are you, bro? Don't speak to me. I think it's absolutely appropriate to speak into someone's life that you love when they're doing damage to themselves or others around you. But there is obviously a kind of judgment that's not good because we're going to see it get called out here. There's a lot of different kinds of judgment, and this sermon doesn't have room for all of those. There's social, there's civil, there's all kinds of judgments that are out there. All right? So, um, so those two concepts are in there a lot. But what, so judgment, when there is a conflict, is what I was, I'm, I'm kind of calling measuring stick theology. Is when we're having a conflict with each other, and somebody's not doing things, or processing things, or believing things, or feeling about things the way that we think they should, we can get pretty bummed out. We can get pretty judgy about it. I think there are absolutely some hard truths in the scripture that we cannot negotiate on. But as we see in the book of Romans, they had got to the point where they were getting judgy about things that Paul said they had no business judging one another on. And it is our tendency to do the measuring stick theology. Well, so-and-so does it this with their own kids. How come you don't? So-and-so is this kind of Christian. How come you're not? And we're going to see that a little bit more as we go. So, I want to go to Romans 3 real quick, part of my recap. Because we love this scripture, right? And if you look at Romans 1 through uh, 3, the first three chapters, Paul actually is dealing with all with three groups in their measuring stick. He's got the pagans in there, and they have a standard of living, and Paul expresses and, ex- and shows clearly how they have this standard of living and where it leads to. They have their measuring stick. And then he goes after the Jews because they have a measuring stick, too, of what they think people should be doing. And he shows them that they're not right by their measuring stick either, that they're not living up to what they said they should be doing either, that they actually do a lot of the same things that they're condemning others for doing. 
And then, because he doesn't want to leave anybody out, Paul's awesome, he gets to the Gentile believers as well. And they have a measuring stick as well. And he talks to them. And look here in Romans 13. I'm going to read off the screen here. It says, but now, Romans 3, 21 through 24. Sorry, I get going. My mouth gets dry. My lips, my words start going together a little bit. Uh, All right, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. You know, you could write that. But now, apart from the measuring stick, the righteousness of God has been made known. Because people are trying to be right. By keeping the rules. By keeping things. And you know what? I like a good rule. I am not a fan of chaos. God wants to bring order out of chaos. He's been doing it since the creation of the world. And I'm a big believer that God wants to partner with every one of us to bring shalom and to bring order to this world and to help people escape their lives of chaos. And that's what happens a lot of times in our lives when we partner with God and people become Christians, among other things that we can do to bring shalom to this world. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ, right? Uh, You're made right through what? Faith in Jesus Christ. I wanted to highlight all the alls, y'all. There's a lot of alls here. Normally, we just focus on the one all. But there's three alls in this verse. So, y'all need to look at all three of these alls right here. <laughs> Have been given through Jesus Christ to all who believe. Who's it available for? All who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. You two judging each other. You should have did it this way. You should be doing it that way. You should run it this way. No, it should be that way. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You guys know that verse, right? Do you know this next part just as well? Because I think you should know this next part even better than that part. And who is justified freely by his grace that came through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus? All. All. All are justified begrudgingly by God. Freely by his grace that came through the redemption of Christ Jesus. That, that, that righteousness is for all. There is no difference. All don't measure up according to whatever measuring stick you want to use. Nobody keeps it. And Paul does a really good job of pointing that out. But guess what? The good news of the gospel is what? All. All are justified freely. So I think what happens in the next seven chapters from 4 to 11 is that Paul kind of works this out. They need, you know, I don't know about you, but when I come to church, I need a little bit more than stop doing that and start doing that. I mean, I get it. I like that. I like clarity. I like to know the boundaries, but I need a little bit more than stop it, because I've been trying to stop it for a long time. And so what Paul does in the next seven chapters, he processes through with examples and with incredible theological truth, and he expands on this concept, and he teaches on this concept. 
to help these people understand what he just said, what it means. And you know what? I've been spending my whole life trying to figure this out. Because, you know, I need a little processing, too, in my life. I need to think about what this grace and this righteousness through faith means. I need some examples. I need to see it working itself out in someone else's life. It really encourages me when I see that. I need to see some, I need to have it expressed in some great ways that I can really delve into and think about and hold on to. And I've been doing that in the book of Romans for my, like I said, my whole Christian life. Every time we go through it, it's never a waste because it's a deep one. And it's going to take a long time to get to it. But he's helping this group of people process this truth. And then he makes this direct shift in Romans 12. It's a direct shift, right? He shifts from the understanding of the truth to the living of the truth in a community of believers and in this world and in your own life. And it gets very directive, right? Romans 12, it just starts. We talked about today. Therefore, therefore, all this stuff that I just talked about, therefore, it should lead you to this type of response. And he goes through Romans 12. And then he goes through in Romans 13. And then Romans 14. And then Darren gets to do Romans 14. So let's do Romans 14. All right. You guys following me? Hopefully I made an understandable case. Um, let's do verses 1 through 4. Except one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master's servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. It goes straight into some just great old direction, right? How to live a holy life. And if you just did this, you'd, you'd be living a pretty darn good life. It'd be better if you understand why you're supposed to do this. Right off, except the one with whose faith is weak, right? Acceptance and not judgment. You see the word judgment keeps showing up here? It's going to keep showing up in this whole chapter here. There is a lot of judgment going on between the believers. I want to ask this question. What is weak faith here, and what is strong faith? Is the weak faith the person who just kind of beginning of their faith, and they don't quite understand it yet, but the strong faith is someone who's been around for a while, and they feel a lot more comfortable with things? Well, the topic seems to be about dietary, about what they eat. So which group in this church between Jews and Gentiles had the biggest issue with dietary restrictions? The Jews. Who were the oldest Christians, the most foundational Christians, had the biggest experience with God in the scriptures? So the Jews were the weak faith and the newer converts were the strong faith? No, because we're not talking about a linear weak to strong progression here. That's not what we're talking about. That's the way we think through things. But that's not what Paul is expressing here. A strong faith is not that is not one that is better, but it's one for whatever reason, history, background, upbringing, whatever it is, is more comfortable practicing a behavior that the weak faith was not. And in this condition, not all instances are this, but in this condition, guess what? It's not a sin issue. 
It is not. And so strong is not better, and weak is not worse. What's bad is having judgment for someone whose faith is not in the same place as yours. That's what's bad. And that's a practice, that's a pretty human thing. I mean, I do that. I'm, I'm just about too smart for my own good. And it causes me to be very arrogant sometimes. I love that scripture. I think we were in Romans 12 about, Ray did last week about, um, think of, don't think about yourself more highly than you ought. To think about yourself in sober judgment with the measure of faith that God has given you. And I think behind that is the words, also consider the measure of faith God has given someone else. Because God's working in their life, just like he's working in yours. And we ought to be careful about getting too judgy about someone that God is dealing with on an individual basis. He says, for God has accepted them. They are God's servant. Who are we to pass judgment on somebody that God has not? There are appropriate things. This is not a all, everything goes and everything is okay theology lesson here. But there are obviously a lot of issues. And I think that it's a fair question when we read in the next section. Are the only issues that we can disagree on, the three that are mentioned in this chapter, or are there others? And we'll talk a little bit more about that. What I will say is it does appear to me, and I want you guys to know, I always process, I just hope you know that Paul is not Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. Everything that gets said in the scripture is going to get processed through Jesus Christ for me. Jesus seems to be a lot more comfortable working with people than the religious establishment did at his time. And I think that that could be a thing for me as well i got to think about. Jesus was a lot more accepting of people than the Pharisees were. Or whoever was in control at that time. You see multiple examples of that. So when I process Paul, I think Paul is 100% correct. But I think about it in the lens of how is Jesus dealing with that woman who showed up at dinner that night? How is Jesus dealing with that woman who got hauled in front of her for adultery? How is Jesus dealing with that leper or that Samaritan everybody's hurt by right now? And that's a really good way to think about it, that God is working in people's lives. Let's read verses 5 through 9. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. All right, I'm just going to call this holidays. All right? I'm going to have the holiday discussion. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord, and whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us, here's the big concept, lives for ourselves alone, and none of us die to ourselves alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. So we've got food differences. We've got holiday differences. We've got what the Bible calls disputable matters. What are disputable matters? 
I guess it depends on your hermeneutic, your, the way you interpret the scripture. It could be these three issues, because the other issue that gets mentioned is drinking in this chapter. These are the only disputable matters in the scriptures. But I'm probably going to go with there's a lot more disputable matters than these. These are the three that church was dealing with. These are the ones that were relevant for them. What's relevant right now for you is a really good question. And, and that's a conversation that's okay to have. People can talk about that. Some people go, no, I don't feel good about that. That's, you, know, you know what you were talking about here, right? You've got to live before God with a clear conscience. And i got to let you live before God with a clear conscience. I need to not only let you, I need to feel comfortable with it. And I only ask, and I think the scripture, and I think Paul really commands it, that you would do the same for me. That people's conscience before God really matters. And we need to be very super respectful of that. I forgot my slides because I'm not very good at this. Oh, no, I did it. Oh, you did it for me, huh? Thank you, Richard. Okay, so I'm rolling, and it's only five, so I'm going to keep going. All right, ten. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? You see the judgment? This is going in this group of believers right here. There's just so much. You're not doing it the way I think you should be doing it. Why do you treat them with contempt? You know, if you look through Romans, you'll see the word contempt follows the word judgment a lot. Because when you get judgmental, Contempt is the natural outflowing that we have. And that's, I don't, it's hard to partner with God when you're full of contempt with somebody. God's like, I want you to go work in that person's life and help them. And I've got something I want to do with them. You're like, I don't like them. Get someone else. I, I have a weird way of expressing. I don't mean to put that on you if that's not how you think. But I can. For you will all stand before the judgment seat. See, there is only one measuring stick. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's God. As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will have to give an account of ourselves to God. You've got you, you know, you to answer to God for what, what you really believe and feel super strongly about. I think there are absolutely some scriptural truths that we need to agree on. There are core, important doctrines, but there is a lot of stuff that we're going to have a lot of differences on. And I think we're figuring out that we don't all agree on a lot of stuff. Therefore, let us stop passing, oh yeah, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I think that don't hold your measuring stick up on somebody and go, yeah, you're a little short. On issues that are not salvation issues. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is clean in itself. That's a Pharisee saying that. So Paul's obviously moved. You know people move in their convictions? Did you know that? Sometimes they get new information and they change their mind. 
That's good. That's not wrong. Sometimes I'm afraid of moving and wrong and being wrong. Because I've done that. Where I've like started thinking something for a couple months and then later went, that was stupid. <laughs> that doesn't square with this scripture and that scripture and that scripture. You know. But people do move. And then other people don't move. Or they studied out and they land even harder on something. That's okay. No one gets the high ground. Because the righteousness that you have only comes by faith. So what is a problem, and I think Paul addresses when we start throwing our, you know the things the cops throw down to get people to stop on the highway down in front of people? We throw the spike strips down in front of people. Whoa, dude. Slow your roll right here. Don't put a stumbling block. That's what matters. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother and sister is distressed by what, because of what you eat, you are no, actor, no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Okay, so now he just says, you're the strong faith on the food issue. You're comfortable. Doesn't bother you at all. That does not mean that you can run around doing stuff and go, hey, I'm comfortable. What's your problem? And you're not being considered of your brother and sister who are going to really struggle over that. It's really going to bother them. You need to think about that, right? Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil, because here's the key verse, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Whatever we do, it needs to be about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And it's not always that way for me. I, I would like it to be more that way. I, I get hung up in this little tit-for-tat things that we do as people sometimes. I love the scriptures that remind me about what really matters. Therefore, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Don't destroy the work of God in someone else's life for the sake of you doing what you want to do. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone to stumble. It is better not to eat milk, meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. And then he says this really interesting statement. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. That's an interesting statement to me. Not everything needs to be full on out there. It's going to make someone struggle. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because if their eating is not from faith, and if everything that does not come from faith is sin. I wanted to get to the end because I wanted to hit that last half a verse there. That last half a verse we know, most of us, if we've been in this church very long, know that verse. And it's interpretation. But it seems pretty clear to me from looking at Romans 14 that he's saying if you've got a conscience issue about something and you go ahead and do it, then it is, guess what, for you? It's sin. So if you know you're going to make your brother struggle or your sister struggle and you go, I don't care, 
Bible doesn't say I can't do it. Well, there's probably sin right there. And I think that's a good way to look at the Scripture. I'm off the notes. How to get back on again. I think in Romans 14, I think the whole book of Romans, we have a window into a church with struggles. And we are not, and their struggles are not very different than ours. Again, just imagine the conversations that were going on between these two groups. One group was offended by what this group was doing, or person. The other group was offended that they were offended and also offended by what they were doing. That sounds like church. I mean, if you, I, I, I don't know, you know, I know there's some visitors here, and, and if you're looking for church where everything's perfect and nobody messes up and nobody's a knucklehead, let me know. Because there is no such thing. It's full of sinners. That's why we come together I mean, for a lot of reasons. But we need to be reminded of this stuff over and over again. You, you know, I stand before God because of Jesus Christ and my faith in him. That is it. That's the only measuring stick I got. So I probably ought to get rid of the rest. You know, when they pull a... Pull the, like the spot, they catch the spy. I think it's in like red and yet they make him get rid of all his weapons, you know, and he pulls out a knife and a gun and another gun and another gun and a knife and something else. And there's a pile of weapons by the time he's done and then the guy goes, okay, one more. There was another one, right? That's how many measuring sticks I have. I don't want, they're heavy. They're heavy. They hurt me when I fall down. Literally. Paul's basically saying, you all lost about Jesus. You probably need to be a little more humble and accepting of each other and work it out in love and respect. Care about people. Don't judge them. Because guess what? You can't do both. Stop relying on your measuring stick and instead rely on Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys.